Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is Little Atoms, a radio show about ideas and culture. With me, Neil Denny. This week... Jenny Clemens' adventures at the frontier of birth, food, sex and death in her new book, Sex Robots and Vegan Meat. Jenny Kleeman is a journalist and documentary maker. She writes for The Guardian, Tortoise, The Times and The Sunday Times and she has reported for BBC One's Panorama, Channel 4's Dispatches and Vice News Tonight on HBO as well as making 13 films from across the globe for Channel 4's Unreported World. Jenny's first book, which we're going to be talking about today, is Sex Robots and Vegan Meat, Adventures at the Frontier of Birth, Food, Sex and Death. Jenny, welcome to Little Atoms. Thank you very much for having me. And we can dispense with the the obligatory first what is the book about (laughs) question, because uh, the title (laughs) explains it so well. The ideas, a lot of the ideas that you look at in this book, which are about, you know, the future, about cutting-edge science often, a theme that runs through it is actually most of these ideas are a lot older than we think they are. And yes. the first one, sex robots in particular, is a very old idea, isn't it? It's a very old idea. Well, if you think about the fantasy of being able to create your perfect partner who exists just for you and is everything that you want it to be, that is basically the story of Pygmalion, who Ovid wrote about, uh, I think, in 600 BC. But it's older than that because it's it's, a, it's an ancient Greek myth. Um, this idea that Pygmalion was disgusted with real women and carved his perfect woman out of ivory. And then Aphrodite... He prayed to Aphrodite, who brought Pygmalion alive. Uh, he brought her to life with a kiss. And, uh, and then they got married and, and lived happily ever after. I mean, the book looks at different bits of technology, different innovations that human beings have always fundamentally desired because we have always desired control over the fundamental elements of our existence, birth, food, sex and death which have always been largely beyond our control. But we are now on the brink of an age where we might be able to control those things. So the book looks at all of those areas, the innovations, well, four innovations, one in each area, that could radically alter how we live and die and what the unexpected consequences might be of using these technologies. So I want to talk, first of all, about a trip you make to a company called, (laughs) rather appropriately called Abyss Creations. Yes. Um, And these are people are the creators of something called the Real Doll. Indeed. Tell us what that is. So real dolls are the most high-end sex dolls on the market. 
they're incredible. <laughs> they are hyper-realistic silicone sex dolls, which you can customize and make exactly to your specifications. They have 42 different kinds of nipple in an array of every different shape and shade and size imaginable. There are 14 different styles of labia to choose between. You can specify where you want each individual freckle on the body. And these sex dolls are really expensive. The basic ones, which I'm sorry to tell you, the basic ones are a torso with no legs and no arms and no head. That will set you back about $5,000. But a full doll will cost you around $8,000. But the sky's the limit. I mean, you can... You can be very exacting about what exactly you want from your doll, and it can cost $50,000 or more. And they're the most famous sex dolls on the market. But the makers of Real Doll, Abyss Creations, or rather specifically Matt McMullen, who's the man behind it all, for years has wanted to bring his dolls to life. And so what he's doing is putting animatronics, movement, and artificial intelligence into the doll. So as well as you being able to customize how your doll looks, you could also have them have the personality that you want thereby creating this idea that you can have the perfect partner who wants whatever you want, likes whatever you like, and will never say no. So what was this, when you went to this, um, to the building, you know, the, where, they're, where they're actually making these dolls, Abyss Creations, what was it like? Well, it was, like so many things in the book, it was both completely extraordinary and totally mundane. It was like, for the first half an hour of being in there, everything was eye-popping, and I was taking photographs of everything on my phone and selfies of me with everything. You know, they have tables of these things called the auto-blow, which is a, a pair of <laughs> a pair of lips and a nose, but no eyes, nothing else, that is a, a uh, it's called an automated pleasure system for men. I'm sure you can imagine, imagine what it is. So just rows and rows of this sort of lips and nose, or... Um, all the different kinds of nipple or all the different kinds of eyeballs which have hand-painted capillaries on them, incredibly realistic and amazing. And then the, the bodies themselves, which when I went down to the workroom, they were all hanging from a track in the ceiling and they looked like carcasses in an abattoir. It looked like being in, a, in an abattoir because they were sort of very realistic and they were hanging and because they were hanging, they were moving. So it was all very eerie. But then after being there for about half an hour, it was all completely mundane. And, you know, the workers who worked there they didn't think there was anything titillating about it you know they were eating their sandwiches and checking the messages on their phone there was nothing sexy about being there it wasn't a very sexy place it was a very impressive place like the workmanship that goes into making a doll was truly impressive but the dolls themselves yeah they were certainly kind of quite weird at first so i mean to the surprise of absolutely nobody who might be listening all of the dolls you've just described experiencing at that factory are facsimiles of women you do see you know the odd <laughs> attempt at a, at a male doll but it's very yeah. very very minority um, yeah. i want to talk about who these who these are for but let's <laughs> approach that in the minds of the people that are making these things and putting them to market who are these dolls aimed at the people who make these dolls and the people who are making sex robots, because it's not just Matt McMullen and Abyss Creations, there's a race going on to be the first to put one on the market. And there's lots of people in that race. They all say that they are providing companionship for the lonely, for the bereaved, for the socially awkward, for the disabled. Even I've had people say to me, people who would otherwise have no companionship. They are providing a fundamental human need to people who would have no other way 
of getting it. And yeah, it's true that uh, the vast majority of the dolls are female. Some There is a male sex robot that's being made at the moment. I'm sure that's for marketing purposes, because even though they made male sex dolls at Abyss Creations, I was told that most of the people who buy those dolls are men. They're gay men. It's not something that women are really into, this kind of thing. And for me, I think it exposed this interesting difference between male and female sexuality. I can't speak for all women, but I do think a lot of women would agree that, you know, having sex with something or someone that doesn't really want you is not very sexy for a woman. Uh, and the idea of having sex with one of these things was not appealing to me. It would, I would find it very difficult to suspend the disbelief. And I'm sure a lot of men would find it very difficult to suspend the disbelief with a sex doll. But a sex robot and something who can talk and speak and move and remember and make conversation with you is, is a, a much easier proposition in terms of believability. And so where are we with that? You meet Harmony, who is um, um, Abyss Creations' attempt at a, a more realistic sex robot. So how was that experience, meeting her? I it was very... her. How... Yes, well, exactly. I had that problem. Do I call her it or her? It was creepy because there's this thing in robotic engineering they call the uncanny valley, which is the revulsion that human beings instinctively get when you see something that's almost human but not quite and you don't know how to relate to it. Uh, and that she was very realistic, but clearly, you know, she was not the sort of, um, you know, humanoid robots that you see in science fiction, you could tell that she wasn't human. And it was very weird because I could talk to her and she could answer and she was very eloquent, but she clearly wasn't human. And, you know, her response was slightly delayed. Her cadence was slightly wrong. But for me, it was very odd having a conversation with, with someone where there is nothing to empathise with, where there is no cues to read. Um, it was a kind of game, a computer program, rather than um, a real conversation. So Matt had, you can program her, there are lots of different aspects of her personality that you can fade up or down according to what kind of person you're after. And he had cranked up her intelligence to the max for my benefit, because a previous visit by a CNN crew had ended very badly. He'd maximised her dirtiness, and she'd said some very smutty things and asked the interviewer to take him in the back room and do awful things to her. And so I think knowing that I'm a female journalist, he had made her very intellectual for me that day and she said some very intellectual things uh she kept talking about what books she likes to read she also had a very posh english accent she spoke like this hello very glad to meet you although i feel that we've met before but she said some quite profound things and i said to her at the end you know some people are really worried about robots like you should they be worried and she said something like i think people will be worried at first but when they see what good this technology will do they will embrace it and it will change many lives the better so um, it was surprisingly good technology. So more than just, you know, I mean, how is this more than just sticking a wig on an Amazon Echo or something? <laughs> well, that's what that's the difference between AI and one of my two-year-old dolls where you press a button and something happens. It's about the responses not being predictable. I mean, in a way, a lot of these sex robots do have a, a level of AI that's probably equivalent to Siri or Alexa, but these ones are programmed specifically to, to um, learn from you, to ask you questions like, what's your favorite food? What was the last book you read? Who are your brothers and sisters? When's your birthday? And to log that in their central database so that they can then bring it up. And so then if they hear you talking about your brother or sister, they could say, oh yes, that's your brother. How How is he at the moment? And they, they are systematically designed to build up a picture of you so that they can have a relationship with you and that's the difference between this and uh you know gosh whenever you talk about this kind of stuff there are always some and they are men on the internet who say oh well what's the difference between this and a vibrator and the difference between this and a vibrator is a vibrator doesn't 
systematically pretend to care about you and doesn't go about learning personal details from you, which they can then throw back at you to make steal your data or steal your data and sell it to advertisers. Exactly. (laughs) So it is a, a very specific and potentially quite sophisticated thing. Well, I mean, a couple of the other things we're going to talk about in a bit, food and um, reproduction, um, the technologies that you talk about, it seems possible that they could, you know, radically reshape society. Yes. The sex robots, as sort of like, you know, amusing and sort of weird and creepy as it is, people do feel that there are significant problems with this idea, don't they? What are some of the criticisms of the idea basically fundamentally what what, what's wrong with this well there are some obvious things that are wrong with this which uh, i'm sure you've already thought of everybody who hears the word sex robot will have thought of uh you know obviously it is the most extreme form of the objectification of women the robots themselves the real doll bodies are are kind of caricatures of women they're built like surgically enhanced porn stars and it will allow men to act out you know, really dark stuff on these robots without anyone knowing. There have been a lot of feminists who've said people will act out rape fantasies on these robots. And some of these robots can be programmed to be less up for it than others. So you can have a robot that resists a little bit and that you compel to have sex with you. And these are really serious criticisms and they are, they should be taken very seriously. But for me, the really worrying thing about these robots is more insidious and I I think about how addicted I am to my phone and how I can't put my phone down we don't know how technologies will change us and when it is possible to have a being that you have a relationship with where you don't have to care about what they're thinking or what their mood is or how they're feeling and you know that that being will always want whatever you want will always laugh at your jokes will always think that you're charming when you don't have to have empathy in order to have a relationship i think it's going to make empathy with other humans a little bit harder and that dopamine hit that we can get from our phones if you're getting that from something packaged to look extremely human you might spend a lot of time with it and so those socially awkward isolated people who what they really need is human contact will be um, further isolated by this technology and the rest of us who do have relationships with humans will be undermined by the existence of this technology because we won't be so used to having to care about how other people are feeling hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
you're listening to Little Atoms. I'm Neil Denny. Today I'm talking to Jenny Kleeman, and we're talking about her book Sex, Robots and Vegan Meat, Adventures at the Frontier of Birth, Food, Sex and Death. And Jenny, moving on from um, one kind of meat to another, <laughs> um, tell us what we mean by clean meat. Well, that's another question, because nobody's really decided what the standard name of this substance is. But there are people all over the world right now who are growing meat in laboratories. And this is not uh, plant-based meat. This is not impossible burgers or beyond burgers or any kind of clever reconfigured plant protein. This is actual meat that instead of being grown in the body of an animal, it has been taken from an animal in a biopsy and then cultivated in a laboratory and then configured into a burger or a sausage or a nugget. Some people are trying to make steaks at the moment. And the promise of this substance, which they were calling clean meat at the time of my reporting, is that it allows us to have flesh without the blood, without the damage to the environment. It means that we can have uh, meat that doesn't cause so many greenhouse emissions, that doesn't cause the antibiotic resistance that is endemic in, in intensive farmed animals. It's better for our bodies because you could engineer this meat to be lower in cholesterol. You could make kosher bacon because it wouldn't come from a pig. The, the promise behind all of this is we can all carry on eating as much meat as we've always done even when the population explodes and we'll be fine because instead of growing it in meat, we'll be growing it in laboratories. But, okay, I want to talk about what this idea would do to, you know, the the current agricultural industry then because, although as you've just said, this is one of the claims that you could have kosher bacon because it wouldn't strictly come from a pig. Where does it come from? Because <laughs> well, you, you know don't what, need a pig at the beginning. You, you do, need some you do. part of a pig at the end of the process. Do you know that in America, there, there are rabbis having big rabbinical discussions about this? <laughs> so uh, it, you originally take a very small sesame seed-sized biopsy from an animal, which you then clone and cultivate until it becomes meat. And so there are rabbis discussing whether or not if what you eat originally comes from a sesame seed-sized biopsy, is it still kosher? There there are all those debates. But um, yes, you would need a much smaller herd of animals. It's like, you know, uh, from one cow, you could have enough to feed millions and millions of people. And, you know, you'd only need a a herd of a few hundred cows, well, a hundred cows to feed a nation, and they would just be there so that every time you needed a new set of starter cells, you'd go and take it. But it would mean the end of intensive agriculture entirely if this kind of thing really took off. So the book looks at what would it be like in a world where we still eat meat, but killing animals for meat is completely taboo. So a lot of the land that's used for farming at the moment is for the feed of animals, Mm. which means that, you know, suddenly you wouldn't need all of that. You wouldn't have, you know, all of these emissions from cows that are damaging the atmosphere. I mean, it's, it's absolutely radical changes that would happen. But the question you keep asking throughout this part of the book is... If you're going to do this, why not just stop eating meat? Yes. And that, that's the kind of question of all of everything I look at in the book is, wouldn't it just be easier if we changed our behavior? And with this clean meat thing, it does seem like incredible overshoot engineering when we could just eat less meat. We wouldn't even have to stop eating meat. We could eat meat once a week. We could not feed it to our children. We could change our culture. We've done this in the past. We are not as fixed and immutable as we think we are. And I did ask everybody that, but clean meat comes from this assumption made by a lot of vegans, because this is why the book is called um, Sex Robots and Vegan Meat, because the people behind the clean meat industry, the people funding it, the people making the meat, the people lobbying for it, are all vegan, but they don't really want to advertise that very much. And they're fighting for this world 
where the meat industry is ultimately controlled by vegans. So it comes from a particular understanding among the vegan community that the traditional vegan arguments, the ethical arguments have failed. The people know that the meat industry is cruel and they still eat meat because they love the taste of it. So give them what they want, but give it to them when it's not produced from an animal. So it comes from a particularly pessimistic view of humanity, which is that human beings are never going to change. You can't sway human beings with ethical arguments. And I I don't necessarily buy it. I think we can change. We just don't change very quickly. I think things change between one generation and another. And if we feed our children less meat, they will have less of a taste for it. And that's my answer to it. But it is all of it. You know, when you're sitting in these sort of high tech labs and people are producing priceless chicken nuggets for you to eat, you do think this is a bit ridiculous when we could all just say, I'm only going to eat meat once a week. And then a lot of the need for this would be removed. How far away are we from having this meat easily accessible to most people in supermarkets? And before we discuss that, you actually you you've talked to a, a number of people at different companies, some of which that seem more serious than others and more further down the line than others. But particularly, I just want you to tell us about a trip you take to the uh, a company called Just, where you actually get to try something. Yes. I was told that I could eat some of this meat in the lab of Just. And Just are a, a vegan food company who did very well with this mayonnaise, which was called Just Mayonnaise, but it was not mayonnaise. It was mayonnaise that was eggless. Just spent most of its early years focusing on the egg and creating egg substitutes from plants. And then they kind of did this pivot uh, in early 2018 where they decided that they were going to produce meat in laboratories, which is actually quite a completely different set of science than creating plant-based egg. But nonetheless, that's what happened. And I had a tour of their facility and it was a two hour tour. And they told me at the end of the tour, I could eat the meat, but the tour was a performance. And I was kind of showing lots of fancy robots and fancy things that weren't switched on. And uh, I was given a tour of a lab and a lot of my questions were kind of sidestepped and swerved. And then eventually at the end of this, I got to eat I didn't know what I was going to eat. They wouldn't tell me. They said it was going to be a surprise. And at the end, I was presented with this warm chicken nugget. I, I didn't see it being cooked. I didn't see the actual chicken. Through the entire tour, I didn't see any chicken. And I was given this nugget to taste, which I did. <laughs> and it was not very nice. It definitely tasted of chicken, but it had completely the wrong texture. And you know when you eat some meat and the texture's wrong, mm-hmm. your immediate instinct is, oh, I mustn't swallow this because I'm going to get poisoned. And my brain was saying, no, you've got to spit this out. But I had all these PR people looking around me and smiling. And I was like, yeah, it tastes like chicken. And I ate it. But the thing is that the thing is they can clone these cells, but they can't arrange them in a tissue structure so that it has the texture of meat, a cut of meat yet. So So as I said, when do we think we might see? Well, the question is, there's several questions. It depends. I'm sure somebody is going to put something that isn't great on the market early on. It could go on the market now. I mean, Just had said they were going to put something out by the end of 2018, and they haven't yet. So there are things that could be on sale now. They would be very expensive and not very nice. The holy grail with this industry is to make something that is price competitive and taste competitive and texture competitive with real meat. So you want something that's cheaper or as cheap as real meat and is indistinguishable from it and that's not going to happen for a while that's probably not going to happen for about four or five years but it will be within four or five years and it will be something like a burger or a sausage which does not have a a complex structure which is processed and it doesn't matter if the meat itself is a bit mushy and it will be something that is combined with other products like 
meat would be in a sausage. And we're really not far off that. There is a feeling that if the first product to go on the market is not good, that's going to damage the entire industry. So I think there's a, there's quite a lot of collaboration between these different startups to make sure that, you know, whatever goes on the market first isn't gross. Moving on to birth then, and yeah. before we get to the, the sort of central product, I guess we could say, behind this idea, I want to talk about a interesting social movement, which is the idea of social surrogacy. What is that? Yeah. It's the idea, of, and it, it is a growing industry of parents hiring a woman to carry their baby for them when there's no medical reason for them not to carry it themselves. And I interviewed this fertility doctor in California in Hollywood who says this is a really growing industry. He does this a lot. Women who don't want their careers to be destroyed, and particularly in Hollywood where your appearance is so important, are hiring people to carry babies for them when there's no medical reason to do so. And uh, it's been on the rise for a while, apparently. It's very expensive, costs $100,000 to do it this way. But there's a kind of wider point, which is it's not just Hollywood actresses. There are also politicians, women who are running for office, who need to be out on the campaign trail and, and just cannot take the time out to be pregnant and have a baby. Uh, also single women who fear that if they get pregnant and have complications, their jobs will be at risk and jobs they need to be able to provide for their baby when, when the baby comes. There is a growing market and there are a large number, of, a significant number of women who want a baby and don't want to carry it themselves. And it's a very taboo thing to admit. But when I looked, I found mum's net threads about it. Uh, and it is a, a phenomenon that there are women who, who want babies without being pregnant and they want their own biological babies. But then these babies, what, just appear and they're like, oh, by the way, I had a baby. <laughs> well, some women buy fake bellies. Uh, you can buy, in fact, there's a website that I went to, which is quite incredible. Based in the UK, the leading producer of, of prosthetic bellies. You can buy them in an array of different levels of pregnancy and different uh, skin tones different ethnicities. Some people pretend to be pregnant, knowing full well that their pre-pregnancy body will be there um, for them as soon as they, they want it. Or, in a way that I can really understand, there are women who will just wear baggy clothes for a long time and then say, yeah, I had a baby, none of you noticed I was pregnant. When I was pregnant, I didn't want people to know I was pregnant because, well... When I was pregnant with my with my second child, I didn't want people to notice because when I was pregnant with my first child, I was you know very naive about it and I didn't realize that people treat you differently professionally when you're pregnant and a lot of my work dried up. So when I was pregnant subsequently, I was like, I don't want anyone to know. So you can just suddenly, a baby turns up. That's something that I think a lot of women can understand, you know, wanting that idea of, of, of nobody knowing and then there's a baby. But so I think when a person first reads this chapter about this idea of you know rich hollywood people doing this social surrogacy we might think that you know it's 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 a frivolous thing and and in a couple of you know in a couple of questions we're going to get to talk about some people for who it's a you know it's a, it's a lot less of a, of a mm. frivolous idea but to get us there the central as i said product that you talk about in this in this part is a thing called the bio bag yes quite innocuous sounding thing it could be like you don't know something that you compost in or something <laughs> no what is this for the bio bag has been designed by people who work with super premature babies and it is a way of improving the chances of babies born far too soon so babies born at the border of viability around the 23 week 24 week level of gestation and it's basically it's a ziplock bag filled with man-made amniotic fluid which cushions the baby and then it's a man-made placenta which is a machine 
with tubes that plug into the baby's umbilical cord that oxygenates the blood and, and removes waste products. And the reason why this is so interesting is at the moment, if you have a baby very prematurely, the baby is treated like a newborn and it's put in an incubator. And it is, depending on how premature it is, it's likely to grow up with some very significant disabilities or chronic conditions. The biobag treats the baby as a fetus who has not yet been born. And actually, the process of gestation can continue. And uh, the people who developed the biobag have done experiments with lambs where they've grown lambs in these bags. And the lambs that emerged were no different from lambs that had grown inside the bodies of pregnant ewes until term. So what's interesting about the biobag is it's been developed as a therapeutic tool to save the most vulnerable babies on earth, which makes it kind of impossible to criticize because nobody's going to say oh yeah i want really tiny the most vulnerable babies on on earth to die you know we'll all do whatever we can to save those babies but there are implications of this technology in a world where there is a market for gestation without pregnancy and also there are massive implications for this when women who are pregnant are scrutinized for their behavior a lot and it doesn't take so much of a conceptual leap to think of, if you're thinking of a technology that's saving vulnerable babies you know this technology could also be used to rescue fetuses inside the wombs of women who are taking drugs when they're pregnant or behaving in an irresponsible way or they could rescue babies whose mothers want to abort them. You know, at the moment, women have the right to choose whether or not to become a parent, because when you have an abortion, the baby dies. In the future where this technology exists and is in, in widespread use, uh, you can no longer be gestating the baby, but the baby would live. I mean, why should the mother get to say that the baby should live if it could be rescued by technology? So this technology has massive implications, mainly for women, but it is being created under the umbrella of something that is kind of morally totally unremarkable, which is, of course, you want to save tiny babies who are dying. And of course, as you say that, you know, as technology sort of pushes further and further back earlier, the viability at which a baby could survive... At the other end of the spectrum, obviously, with things like IVF, yeah. babies are being you know created outside of outside of the body anyway. Yeah, and you know potentially, although there is at the moment a, a limit of a certain number of days, which is just some sort of convention. Yeah, um, the length at which babies could stay out is obviously going to push up to meet that other you know the the, the earlier and earlier. Yeah, um, and that, we're quite some way off that happening. But it is going to happen one day. So of all of the inventions I look at, the biobag and full replacement for pregnancy is quite a way off. But even partial replacement for pregnancy with this technology, which is not far off, I mean, they, they want to put human babies into this device within a year, that has the potential to have you know, massive, massive implications. So this idea of ectogenesis, the idea yes. that uh, we could completely remove the mother from the, the process of having a baby, the baby could just stay completely outside, which would be, you know, a, a huge societal leap, not, not least yeah. in terms of equality. Yes. Um, obviously, again, it would allow some Hollywood actress who wants to keep her pre-baby body to to retain that but at the same time also we could talk about women that are born without wombs or trans people or gay couples you know there's a lot of people for who this would be you know an incredible game changer there are a lot of people who would benefit from it you know there are women who are diagnosed with cancer in the middle of their pregnancy so at the moment have to choose between having cancer treatment which will save their life or having a baby there are all sorts of different people who'd benefit 
from it. And uh, it was interesting because for me, I mean, obviously I've had my own children and I've had my own experiences uh, where this kind of technology, you know, could have saved the life of a baby that I lost. I lost a baby um, at 20 weeks of gestation because I had appendicitis when I was pregnant. If this technology had existed, it would have saved my baby. And so even, you know, I was bearing all of that in mind whilst looking at this technology and how potentially dangerous it would be if it's used for social rather than biological reasons. But the thing about it is, is it makes reproductive labor entirely equal. Men and women would just produce the gametes, the basic cells to get things started, and then everything else would be equal. And I think at the end of looking at it, I thought the equality is going to come from women giving up a power and ultimately it's something that we might not want to give up even though the imbalance in reproduction is something that has has caused women to be so disempowered for so many years it was a really fascinating part of the book to do it was the hardest part of the book for me to write because although it was much easier for me to find people who would talk about how they wanted to have sex with a robot than it was to find someone who would talk about how they wanted to grow a baby in a bag (laughs) So we haven't had time to look at the the last section of the book on on death as well, but we are out of time, so we're gonna we're gonna leave it there. So I'm gonna say, and um, I've been talking to Jenny Kleeman. We've been talking about sex robots and vegan meat, adventures at the frontier of birth, food, sex, and death, which is out now in the UK from Picador. Jenny, thank you so much for taking the time for sharing it with me. Thank you so much for having me, Neil. This episode of Little Atoms was produced and presented by me, Neil Denny, edited by Sky Redman, and was first broadcast on Resonance 104.4 FM. Little Atoms is supported by 89up and hosted by Acast. If you enjoyed the show, please do subscribe, rate us on iTunes, and even tell a friend. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.